Welcome to the Light Plus podcast from Lighthouse. In this series, we'll be talking to the artists and creators behind the works that have been selected for the Alternate Realities Tour from this year's Sheffield Dockfest. This exhibition will be open to the public from the 12th to the 20th of October and is presented as part of Brighton Digital Festival 2019. I'm Sian hay and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we're going to hear from Darren Emerson, creator of the simultaneously brilliant and devastating work Common Ground, a half-hour virtual reality exploration of South London's Aylesbury estate and its community. Darren is a director, producer and co-founder of East City Films and its subsidiary VR City. Hi Darren, thanks for joining us today. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and this project? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Darren Emerson. Um, I work at a company called East City Films, which I own and I've been running for 12 years. I have been directing uh, virtual reality documentaries and experiences uh, since the end of 2014, actually. And um, But my first sort of VR documentary was in 2015 and since then, I've been continuing to kind of uh, work in this field. I wanted to ask, your career has evolved from traditional documentaries now into VR. Was that led by a curiosity around the potential of this technology or was it limitations that you'd felt with the traditional documentary format? And how did that transition happen for you? Well, I've sort of worked in TV and I guess sort of traditional video and film since since 1999 in fact so I did a degree a film a film degree I kind of just launched myself into like the TV industry if you know for want of a better word and I worked for MTV for uh, until 2006 and so a lot of the work that I had done after MTV was kind of a hangover of that really in many ways so East City Films uh, made music videos we filmed live music um, I produced the Mercury prize awards and stuff like that and so it was very very different sort of kind of uh very different sort of subject matters that we were kind of involved in but through sort of kind of doing work like that which was kind of quite youth kind of facing in 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 many ways we came into contact with i guess um different sorts of campaigns that were trying to sort of kind of speak to that um, that audience and they were and that's kind of sent us on sort of documentary uh, shoots uh, to places like India and, and Nigeria you know to raise awareness for HIV and AIDS and stuff like that and and, and that sort of kind of moved me sort of t- towards the sort of documentary sort of path that I've ended up taking and and also because you know as a as a filmmaker originally before sort of getting sucked into the TV industry that's the kind of stuff I was interested in, making films and, and, and telling those sorts of stories. But I think you get, you can get sort of, when you enter any industry and you stay there for, for a while, you can, you can kind of get um, sidetracked into doing things that you didn't necessarily want to do. And um, we got to a point in sort of late 2014 where we started um, being asked about 360 video primarily as as in a commercial sense and and that let me that kind of let me sort of kind of explore a new technology that I was kind of really really interested in and for me it was came at a time where I was questioning what how much more I wanted to do within sort of traditional sort of video media um and seeing maybe some of the early pieces that uh, like clouds over sidra that, that gabriel aurora produced and directed just kind of was a moment where i thought actually this this is a whole new 
a whole new medium, a whole exciting sort of set of new challenges, creative challenges that I really want to kind of dive into. And, and, and from that point onwards, I sort of really sort of invested my time in it. And so I went out and I made a documentary called Witness 367, which was about a lady who had survived the 77 bombings. And it was 10 year anniversary in 2015. And I just went out and made that and as, as a 360 documentary. And it was still very sort of early in that sort of cycle of, of this kind of age of VR, if you if you like. And it was really well received. It, it, it was part of the first Kaleidoscope tour. It was uh, it was selected at IDFA's Doc Lab, and and then sort of went all around the world at Cannes and stuff like that. And and from that point onwards, I just kind of built there. I I kind of got I guess the ability to sort of kind of work on original work that I could get commissioned, and and then sort of indulge the things that I was sort of more interested in, which tend to be social justice issues, really. And so the second piece that I had was commissioned by Sheffield Dockfest was uh, a piece called Indefinite, which premiered there, which was about indefinite detention in the UK asylum system. And I guess, you know, a little bit like Common Ground in the sense that it wasn't like automatically the kind of subject area that people imagined that would be a good use for VR. Whereas I felt that actually this is exactly what we should be using uh, virtual reality for, is to kind of pull back the layers of the world around us that we see every day and, and show, I guess, this alternate reality in terms of a, a social justice sort of kind of experience that people were having at the same time as, as we were going about our daily, our daily lives. So that's kind of what really interests me. And I guess common ground you know, being produced and finished this year is the culmination of that sort of four or five years worth of experimentation, development and storytelling craft in this medium. And so for much of the experience, and I hope this is something you can talk to us a little bit about, but there's a feeling of the building itself of Aylesbury speaking to us as an audience. Had you always envisioned the architecture and design of the estate as the audience's entry point into the story? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there were several things about making Common Ground, you know, that, that drew me to the subject matter. I mean, first of all, there is a um, a sort of fascination and and sort of love of the architecture, even though the Aylesbury Estate, you know, is not the prettiest, brutalist uh, estate out there. There are other examples that are sort of kind of more heralded. You know, there was something about the Aylesbury Estate. That, that kind of fascinated me. And I think, you know, to be truthful about it, you know, I grew up in South East London, so not far from the Ellsbury Estate, and I went to school in New Cross. And the school I went to kind of drew a catchment of people from all sorts of different backgrounds, from what would be considered sort of working class to middle class to, to some rich kind of families. And, you know, I was pretty resolutely in the middle class, I would say. You know, and, and the UK is obviously kind of pretty obsessed with class and where you come from. And I remember feeling, visiting friends who lived either on the Peckham Estates or around the Aylesbury and feeling sort of intimidated by it when I was, when I was younger, you know, not know, really knowing anything about it. And so it's always kind of stuck with me. Every time I drive past it in South East London, you know, I, I would look at it and, and sort of kind of... I guess kind of reflect on my feelings towards it 
as 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 a piece as a building and and you know and, and as you get older you start to kind of learn more about the world and and start to question your own feelings around uh something as you know something as bland and monolithic as 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 a, a state block you know why why did i feel a certain way to something when i had no experience of actually living there and that kind of spoke to me i guess whilst making this piece about the portrayal of estates like this that i was coming at it originally from a place of of, of coming at it from a place where the narrative had already been sort of kind of told to me about what this estate had behind its walls you know it's often used especially in london because because it is in london it's often used as, as a backdrop for journalists and news and news sort of kind of uh, correspondence to to base reports from and that they could be a report from anything from you know like single parents to uh, benefit caps all that kind of stuff you know and often something like the Aylesbury is the backdrop to that and so it starts to tell you a story about the place without actually having any direct connection to the experience of people living there so there was kind of partly something that drew me to it sort of kind of really in a personal sense sort of uncovering my own bias around something that I'd grown up around and and also wanting to sort of reconnect to the sort of idea around how it was built why it was built and I guess the kind of the, the changing political and social sort of kind of view on estates like this and, and, and what they were built for and, and, and what the benefits were of them versus the sort of rhetoric that would label the Aylesbury as an, the estate from hell or hell's waiting room, as it's been called. You know, I was, I was kind of intrigued by that. But, you know, so the architecture itself and, and the buildings itself play a massive role in this VR experience, mainly because VR to me is a very you know it's a spatial medium it's it's about being somewhere and feeling connected to to a place and i thought you know quite early on in the development of this um of this piece of work we put something up on the whiteboard in our office where we were kind of you know kind of dealing with ideas and one of the things i I'd wrote was that once you enter the estate at the beginning you never leave it so it it's not something that and and that has that has connotations in terms of how you then creatively build the narrative and how and how you use the techniques, the filmmaking techniques, for want of a better sort of phrase, uh, when you're inside the experience, that how you use archive, how you use contributors, like everything feels that it has to be within the walls of the estate and, and that the estate itself contains all the information that you need around around you. So you can look around it in its physical sense, but you can also see that it's passed via archive or you hear from a contributor or a historian but you're within the you you're within the environment so that was very important to kind of make make the subject as much about the history of the estate as it was about the sort of the personal sort of effects of regeneration on some of the people living there it's interesting that you say that part of your journey into the story was about confronting your own preconceptions about the estate and your audiences as well. Could you talk a little bit about how you approached finding the main characters in the work and getting the trust of the community as well? 
I knew I wanted to make a, a piece about regeneration and, and I came to the Aylesbury estate through researching basically South London estates and, and the estates I knew. And there was the Haygate estate, which was very close to the Aylesbury. It's almost like a sister estate. And that was at the Elephant Castle. And uh, that's been pulled down now. And, and there was a lot of controversy around its redevelopment. And the fact that what's happening on the Elephant Castle is essentially high-rise sort of buildings being built there that nobody in that community is going to be able to afford. And quite quickly from researching that, you know, you get brought to the Aylesbury Estate as essentially the next one down the road that's that's happening to. Um, and so sort of accessing this, the estate, you know, the main sort of people that gave me access were are a charity that's based on the estate called the Creation Trust. And the person that runs that is a lady called Charlotte Benstead. And she is fantastic. I mean, she's such a sort of advocate for this, for this experience and us working there because they've said um, the Creation Trust and the, the Tenants and Residents Association of the estate have denied filming quite a lot over in recent years. And so there's a lady called Jean Bartlett who is in the who's in the experience and she's sort of the uh, uh, older lady with the garden so she's she's got an MBE and um, for services to the community and she used to run a youth center there and and, and so really she was her uh, Jean and Charlotte were the custodians of access as you know and I had to convince them and so I, I went down to a, a tenants uh, meeting I I describe what I wanted to do I talked about my roots in South London you know and you know and I, you know to connect with people because you know I didn't want them to feel that it was somebody from outside coming in so much and I, and I felt like I did have a big enough connection to the area being being from that you know from that part of London that I could tell this story in, in the way it should be told and with the creation trust you know the the one thing that they were really sort of mindful of was that I wasn't just, you know, to come in, film what I wanted to film and then sort of bugger off, basically. You know, and, and, and they said that to me directly in a very blunt fashion. You know, don't come in here and just bugger off and send, you know, and, and go and talk to guardian your guardian friends about it. You need to engage with people. And so, you know, that was something I really wanted to do. And I feel like VR often can be accused of being quite sort of like the gaze of other people in certain environments. You know, there's been a lot of sort of VR documentaries made in Africa and places like that. And, you know, what you're seeing now is is actually really great in the sense that a lot of those VR 360 films in, in those regions are being made by African filmmakers, which is which is great. Whereas before it felt like it was people just dropping in and putting their cameras there and going, hey, look at this refugee camp now obviously the Ellsbury is not you know in the same same sort of kind of uh, same position as that but in terms of authenticity and being able to tell this story I felt like you know I had you know we had to be a collaborative process and that any sort of documentary like this where you come in with a complicated story to tell it, it covers lots of different things from architecture to to government policy to uh, regeneration and all this kind of stuff. You have to engage with people properly to get the real truth of it. And um, and so that was the kind of, you know, that that was one of the sort of most difficult parts of it. The other thing was is that, is that people in the estate might be interested in, in helping us shoot. So we had kind of young people from the estate uh, come and help us on some of the shooting and stuff like that, which was great. 
And then once it was finished, we um, exhibited, we did a private view on the estate for residents to, to look at. I mean, one of the things was, one of the barriers, uh, you know, is that Jean was fed up with people filming on the estate. So Channel 4 have got a famous ident uh, that they use uh, of, the, of the estate where they came down and it comes through like a, it goes down a passageway. Uh, it, you'll you'll recognise it because you would have seen it loads of times. And there's like you know there's rubbish strewn everywhere. There's washing hanging up and all the stuff that, that was actually added uh, added in CGI, and and that was the straw really that broke the camel's back because for years it had been used as like an estate on the bill and all these all these kind of like kind of grimy sort of films and stuff like that. And um, and that Channel Four ident was was the moment where they were like, wait a minute, this is our this is our home. This is our community. It needs to be portrayed correctly and so that was <clears throat> that was a big worry for me you know it's like you're talking about an estate that's being pulled down and there are reasons that it's being pulled down and you know they're not all good uh, but at the same time there needs to be balance and you need to be fair and uh, and not to try and glamorize it in a in a sense of you know that kind of it, it's urban decay so that that was a real sort of kind of that was a real thing that I had to kind of really test and but to your point about getting access to people i mean the creation trust helped me get access to the people so you know they put me in touch with gene they put me in touch with anthony who's the young man from uh, whose family are from ghana at the end and they sent me a video uh, of, to me on youtube of him confronting the Suffolk council and standing up and yeah and i was and I, I watched it and i looked at it and i was just like i need to find this person Coming back to that, one of the most powerful and I suppose devastating elements of the experience is when you're walking slowly through the building. You really feel the identity of the place and these characters that speak to us. We have such a strong sense of how rooted this place is in their own identity and personal histories. And that comes across really strongly towards the end when Anthony speaks directly to us. It's such a powerful moment and from what I've heard the work was really positively received by the residents. But was that the case and did you have any fears that it wouldn't be? Well, yes, I mean... We we showed it on the estate actually after it premiered at Tribeca and it was like the week after we got back and I have to say I was much more nervous about showing the residents the piece than I was it premiering at Tribeca (laughs) because I know the residents there and they're all really really lovely but if they didn't like it they would just tell you straight to your face you know that that you you know you'd fucked up their story basically so there was a concern there and um and because there are different forces at play on the estate there are people on different sides of of a of a fence there are some people that are pro the regeneration of the estate and are supporting it and are trying their best like gene to make sure that the promises that are made by people like the housing association are, are kept but then by her doing that and doing it for the right reasons there are other people that see her as a negative force and and are and are sort of you know are are on the sort of anti-regeneration side so there's lots of different forces at play but where we showed it everyone was really in love with it and their reactions to it were overwhelming and they felt that their stories whether individually or collectively had been sort of represented and told and subsequently after that showing, I got a call from Southwark's regeneration team, who obviously are heavily involved in the regeneration of the Ellsbury Estate and have been for a good 30 years. And they came over to the office to watch it. 
And again, it was kind of odd because I was kind of nervous about that because, you know, but the main guy, I called Neil Kirby, who had been working on the regeneration of the estate for 30 years, he he said that he, he watched it and he said, well, you know what? It's a fair representation of, of what's been happening and it's not, you know... It, it's it's a good piece of work and he and then he contacted somebody else to go try and screen it in in Suffolk so you know it's, it was kind of like oh okay and I think for me as as, as a filmmaker and experience somebody making an experience like this that was really gratifying because I was you know whenever I was talking to potential contributors on either side of those uh, that fence the first thing that they would say to me on the phone is like well what's your opinion on regeneration where do you stand essentially and actually that came really more from the left than it did from people that were you know pro-regeneration and I guess people wanted to know where you were coming from before they would talk to you and one of the things that I was trying to do and some people didn't like this and some people understood was was that I was trying to come at it from a position of just trying to get to the truth of what it was and the truth is different for different people you know, and the reality of their of, of, of how they live their lives within that estate is is it can be seen in different ways. And for me it was trying to find the commonalities on both sides of the argument, you know, things that people could agree with, things around community, things around what it meant when it was built and why why it maybe had failed, but how, you know, it was really not about necessarily the concrete and glass, but it was really about the people inside of it. That, that that made the Ellsbury a community, and also, in terms of my view on regeneration, it 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 was like you know I would say to people that I clearly I I felt that it needed to be regenerated as a building as a set of structures, but that that regeneration needed to serve the community that was already there, and if it failed the community that was already there, then it wasn't it wasn't working. And I feel like the piece itself is much more about social housing and our changing relationship with social housing than it is really just about regeneration and you know gentrification and social cleansing that is a big you no know, that's a big part of these people's lives especially from the middle part to the end but really it's about how we have led up to this point from the the creation of the Aysbury estate you know i think the historian says you know it shows the scale and ambition that was behind the building of this estate. It was there to house working families, people that the, 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 the government at the time wanted to help. And, you know, it was about society and, and building society. And now, and it was built from, you know, from slums that had been pulled down, like tenement buildings, where people were living, paying private landlords, you know, high rates and all living in the same room, that kind of classic, you know, when I was growing up, my nan would always say, oh, you know, there was like five of us in a bed in a room, you know. And, you know, it was going from that thing into a an estate where everyone had their own bedroom, they had running water, and, and these were real improvements in people's lives. But then you fast forward now, and they're pulling it down, just like they pulled down the Victorian slums. But instead of building something that could be classed as helping that community, it's much more of a commercial exercise about what you can afford and what you can't afford. And a lot of those people in that community might end up renting flats in the new estate from private landlords. And then we, and, and that cycle that social housing tried to sort of try to fix is, is being reintroduced. And that's why we have a housing crisis, you know, obviously. 
I guess this work touches on so many important themes around social cleansing and gentrification and how we behave as communities and as neighbours and as society. Do you have ambitions or wishes for how the work could be seen and experienced by a wider audience, maybe outside of the context of a gallery space? It's something I suppose we're still learning about with VR pieces and that the experience can be quite difficult to access. Is that something that you started to think about or experimented with already? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it's been something that's been at the forefront of my mind, really, all the way through making this, uh, which is something that I've had to learn from making VR. I mean, I mentioned a piece that I made before, which was about indefinite detention. And I think one of my regrets around that piece, I mean, it was bought by the New York Times, which means it did get like a platform, but there was never any sort of real, real sense of how many people actually got to see it, you know, based on based on that but what we really need to do with that piece was was to get it out to the communities that were either affected uh, by indefinite detention or were having asylum seekers placed within their communities so that they could kind of understand what their journey had had been to get there and so to, you know to kind of help fight sort of discrimination and I guess one of my regrets and it was it was through naivety really in terms of like you know making VR and kind of you make it you you premiere it at Sheffield or, and you ex- kind of almost kind of expected it to then just have a life on its own and you know what I learned from that experience was that the only person that could really get this out there was myself and that I had to do the work to do that and so coming to common ground uh, slightly differently with a, you know and with that in mind, essentially. Now, I think the fact that it's at the lighthouse is amazing, and in in itself is a also I think a sort of advance from just the film festival model, which you know. So Common Ground's being shown at lots of different film festivals, and they've you know they're very sort of limited, sort of kind of you know five days here, you know, in different places, and if you miss it, you miss it, you know. And and there are a lot of film festivals that are showing VR that where it's quite an exclusive audience in that it's mainly people that work in VR there and uh, you know so it's you know VR can be a bit of an echo chamber in that sense you know it's like people that make it who or who curate it are all looking at the same work and commenting on it but it's not really getting out to the public and so the fact that it's at the lighthouse in Brighton it's fantastic and I want it to actually be exhibited like that in 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 more in more places where there can be footfall and people can discover it and or it can be written about and, and, and people can discover it in that way. And it's not like if you weren't there on, you know, June 24th that you didn't get to see it. But, you know, on top of that, you know, we've been talking to different funding bodies about doing some outreach around that. So one of the things that we really wanted to do was to get Common Ground out to communities uh, and people that, uh, you know, live on similar estates that might be going through uh, similar regenerations around the country. And so we're working with some people to put uh, a budget together to fund that. And I'm actually having a meeting about that in a couple of weeks, which would be really, really good. So that's, you know, like taking it out there. And, and I mean, I think it's, it's a difficult one because I think about this a lot and I think about, you know, what the purpose is of taking it out to different communities and certainly I'm wary in the same way as I was wary when I approached the Aylesbury estate of not just kind of dropping in with some headsets and saying hey you know come and watch this experience isn't it great you know aren't, aren't I great for bringing VR here for me it's got to be wherever we go whether it's another estate in the in the north of England or wherever it's really got to be around the community there talking about 
their reality, their life on that state and the issues that surround them where, with the VR piece being an accompaniment to that where people can then, you know, kind of experience common ground and it can facilitate more discussion because, you know, it's, it's for me, common ground is the catalyst for greater discussion around social housing and social housing policy. Not only sort of what it is now, but how policy uh, has shaped where we are today and, and the, this drive for, you know, regeneration. And in terms of, it's not just important for virtual reality to, to get a wider audience, but, but I feel like the power of VR and, and what it can do in terms of documentary and also terms in bridging sort of uh, divides and, and allowing people to access different environments and different life experiences is, is really, really important for us to share beyond the film festival environment, also beyond the sort of exhibition environment that we need we need more people to engage with it and um and and for me I, for me that's 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 really important and i think it's so important that it's changing the way that vr is now produced and made i think that's something that we need to think about when we're creating work like how how we're going to get it to people and because it's such a because it isn't film because it isn't one particular sort of kind of medium like theater or something it's 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 a multitude of different things and and it can be therefore tailored to different audiences in different ways and you know and i think that i think that's really important now for me to as a creator to think about that sort of stuff first really and that leads me to my last question our interaction in the piece of the physical world of the estate feels really natural and intuitive on the one hand how did you approach designing those interactive elements and on a broader scale, how has working with VR changed your approach to narrative storytelling? Yeah, I mean, so this was the first, Common Ground is the first piece that I've made that has interaction in it. And I always wanted to make sure that the interaction was designed in a way that it felt natural, that it felt intuitive, that it didn't need much explaining. Because it's a documentary at heart, I didn't want people to feel that they could kind of like like it wasn't going to gamify the experience at all so it wasn't like you know you can fail the documentary if you don't press this button or whatever you know so that was that was very important and then when it came down to the what those interactions were I mean I think first of all it was about allowing for curiosity and for kind of natural sort of discovery a little bit but it was also sort of trying to make sure that the interactions felt rooted within the environment and the landscape of the Aylesbury estate in a sense that, you know, I question, say, the spray paint bit where, where you're in the stairwell. You know, there were points where I, I questioned, like, well, who am I with the spray can? Like, am I somebody who lives on the estate? Am I a young person who's bored? You know, what is it to graffiti the wall, you know, even in VR? And it's kind of interesting that, you know, when, whenever you see people in that scene, no one hesitates to start spraying on the wall. They're given a spray can, they're in a dingy stairwell and, and they go for it. No one sort of goes, oh, you know, I shouldn't really do this because it's vandalism or, you know, because they don't feel that sense when they're in there. It feels like the environment and the natural sort of thing to do is to spray. And I think that's kind of interesting in a sense that it kind of deepens for me the reaction to the documentary in that through action, 
you get closer to the experience of people that lived there and you understand them better. So if you know, if you if you are a young person on an estate where there's very little investment, uh, there's no sort of kind of youth clubs and stuff like that, and you haven't got much to do, there's not much opportunity work wise, you know, the estate is your canvas, it's your playground and it feels very natural to do something like that. And so, you know, kind of understanding that and having other people just naturally go and, you know, write their name or whatever on the wall, for me is sort of a way that interaction sort of deepens the understanding within the documentary. In other scenes, you know, like in the flat where it's it's more facilitating a, a deepening of the documentary. So switching on the TV obviously allows us to present what is in essence another part of the documentary. It's just on 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 the uh, with archive and stuff, which is on the TV. But then we move you over to to the newspaper, which in itself tells a story. And you can either do the newspaper, or you or you keep listening to the TV, or you do both. For me, what I wanted to do in that scene was to make sure that it felt natural that at home you might be watching the TV, but you might also be on your computer or what, or reading something. And it isn't like, no, you now you must read the newspaper and this is all that you must do. But I feel like all those things combined over the period of half an hour kind of give you a deepening sense of what the what the real story is and what the and what the sort of reality is of living on the estate and, and the different forces at play. Because one of the major themes within Common Ground is the sort of dissonance between the design and the ideals around the creation of the estate and the reality of what it has become. And so we researched, you know, you can go, we went to a place called Southwark Archives where they have in like uh, drawers and stuff like all the different, they have the original plans of the estate and they also have the original pre-visualization drawing where you know, of the proposed Aylesbury estate in, in the 60s where you can see the artist's impressions of what it was going to be like. The shop levels, the guys, the people walking on the boulevards on the raised walkways and stuff like that. And so I think that for me became kind of a theme that we kept on coming back to. So whenever you go into a sort of more Six Degrees of Freedom volumetric interaction sort of scene, you go into that through seeing the sort of design, like the black and white kind of sketched world that then sort of becomes uh, real. And then... One of the interactions that works really, really well is the kind of plan that, that we give you in probably like the second or third scene where you're in the car park and then on, on the shop level where you can compare uh, what was meant to be there and how, how those spaces were meant to be used to how they are being used today, which are basically derelict. But, you know, and I think that that worked really well in a sense. In a sense, it was like AR, but in VR, you know. I think in all of those cases... I like to think that, you know, we we sat we had loads of different ideas for different different interactions. And the process was about interrogation. You have to, you know, interrogate the idea. Why are we doing it? What does it add to the documentary? How does it serve the documentary? What does it mean to embody this while you're doing it? And if you can kind of answer those in a in a way that you feel satisfied with as the creator, the overarching narrative is the important thing, then I think you, you find sort of things that work for you. Uh, we had this idea that you would throw a stone at one point uh, at a window to access like a different contributor and stuff, but it just didn't feel right. And, you know, eventually you, you go through a press, you go, ah, this is not going to work. This doesn't feel right. And it's maybe it's a glorified DVD menu in VR and it's not actually serving the documentary. So I feel like everything that we left in hopefully serves the documentary, even the 
calling of the lift button. You know, it's, 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 it's really, it's about being on the estate. It's about connecting to the person that's in the lift, who's the next person you're going to meet, you know. For me, I guess, working, having previously worked in traditional sort of media, I think working in the interactive bits was, for me, the most exciting element of it. I wanted Common Ground to be a combination of a cinematic experience but also with the freedom and the connection of interactivity. And so that's why I guess a lot of it is still 360 video and it still has filmmaking at its heart. You know, we're doing drone shots, tracking shots, moving in and out of people um, and stories. Um, but I felt that actually for me, the exciting thing about embodying and being present in some of those spaces and actually kind of living within a cinematic universe, even if it's a documentary cinematic universe, was really, really exciting. And actually, I think in my work, you know, moving forward, I want to go further in that direction, that I want to create work that, that is almost embodied cinema. That's a really nice note to end on, and unfortunately, it's all we've got time for. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. If you want to find out more about alternate realities, visit lighthouse.org.uk or chef.fest.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It helps other people to find us. The Sheffield Dockfest Alternate Realities Tour is funded by Arts Council England. <laughs>